Okay, welcome, 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 welcome. Once you rise for the reading of God's word, once you stand now for the reading of God's word, and if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible? We like not only to hear the word of God, we like to see it. You, please, you could open your Bible to John chapter. 20, we are going through the book of John, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, uh, tell him where you have laid him, and I will go take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, and 
Lord, we're, we're, we're in a, a world, Lord, that needs the, the resurrected life, Lord. I, I, I just, I think of the coast, Lord, in the south and the Carolinas with many displaced. And they, they need resurrected life today, Lord. And I just pray that somehow you would show the resurrected life to them. But Lord, what our prayer is, my prayer is for, for me, for these men, these women, these children gathered here today, Lord, even though many of us have heard this story many times, many of us grew up with this story, Jesus was crucified, then he rose from the dead. We grew up with that, Lord. But I pray today that it would be as the first time, including for me, Lord, the first time, and by that happening, just new life would be breathed into our lives, Lord. I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray it for our church and every church declaring your word in the city. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. So we spent the last five or six weeks on the suffering of Jesus, the death of Jesus. He suffered at the hands of men. He suffered at the hands of, of God, actually. The Bible says that God the Father punished Jesus judged him, struck him with his wrath so that your sin, my sin against God would be paid for, that the justice of God would be satisfied. That's what happened on the cross. Now, there are many who look at the cross as an unnecessary oddity. What's up with the cross and all that blood? Why do we need that? That's so not the year 2018. Why all this blood? Why this cross? God doesn't need a cross. God is God. He's God. He can do what he wants. He doesn't need to go through the trouble of all this this. this bloody, unrecognizable body on the cross. God's in charge. If he wants to look over the landscape of all humanity, of all history, and just say, I love you, I forgive you, he can do that. He doesn't need a cross. I grew up in, in churches that minimize the cross in that way. Those are the recollections of my youth. But those who say such things, they're not really thinking about what they're saying. We don't need a cross. It's so not the year 2018. They're not thinking through what they're saying. And we've used this illustration already the last five or six weeks what if a human judge did that? What if a human judge, he or she simply went to all the murderers 
in jail and said, you're forgiven, go free. And then to the thieves, you're forgiven, go free. And then to all the rapists, the kidnappers, the molesters, and whatever, you're forgiven, go free. What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. The victims and their families would be rising up and crying out, wait a second, where's the justice? We demand justice. What this judge is doing is criminal. It's a terrible crime against me, the victim, my family, and our community, and and the whole country. And they would be right. But you know something? No one's ever going to be able to make that accusation against God because the cross cries out for all history to hear and bear witness justice has been satisfied. Every crime, every sin that's ever been committed, there it is. There's justice. (laughs) So yes, we've been forgiven, but not at the expense of justice. Not we're forgiven and we sweep justice underneath the rug. What should have justly happened to you and me happened to the Son of God. He died in your place. The greatest demonstration of love the world has ever seen. That mind-boggling substitution. Jesus going to the electric chair. The firing squad, the guillotine, the hangman's noose, the gas chamber, the cross, so that you wouldn't have to. The Bible's saying that the penalty for your sin, my sin, is death. So that, so that you wouldn't have to. Have to. So the, the cross, a demonstration of his love. And just as the cross was a demonstration of his love, the resurrection is a demonstration of his power. Once the the wrath of God, the justice of God, the anger of God, the punishment of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross, by the resurrection, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the spirit of God has been poured out on you. On us through the resurrection. So the resurrection. I've taught a lot of messages on the resurrection. Easter comes once a year. And so at least once a year I'm giving a sermon about the resurrection. And the resurrection, incredibly important, critical that we understand it. Among other things, the resurrection was, why the resurrection? Why the resurrection of physical body of Jesus on the third day? Why? Well, uh, the resurrection was God's way of telling the world that everything that Jesus said was true. So we've been through the book of John. We've read uh, a lot. A lot of what uh, Jesus uh, said in the book of John, including his I am statements. 
What's the name of God? God? Moses said to God, if I go back to Egypt and tell them, well, God sent me to you, and they asked me what uh, your name is, what should I say? He said, I am who I am. Just tell them the I am sent you. And Jesus, uh, throughout the book of John, we he filled in the blank, I am what? Well, he filled it in. And in John chapter 6, verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Quit seeking over after physical bread, as if that was um, the thing that's the, the life or death, your life or death. No, I am the bread of life. Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ cries out, that is true. Just cries it out. John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. True, the resurrection cries out. John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. True, the resurrection cries out. John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. True, the resurrection cries out. John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. True, 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 the resurrection cries out. And then, a few weeks ago, we read John chapter 18, verse 37, which is really the eighth I am statement. What did Jesus say to the Roman judge Pilate? He said, you say rightly that I am a king. I am a king. And what does the resurrection do? It just cries out absolutely right. He's a king. That's what the resurrection does. So, so through the resurrection of the dead body of, uh, of Jesus, it came to life. And, and, and by that happening, everything that Jesus said, uh, just it came alive. The word of God came alive. And guess what? So do we, by faith, putting our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's what happens to us. Romans 6 verse 4 says this, uh, this is Paul writing to the Romans. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of the resurrected life. The resurrection. Now, the book of Acts, which follows the book of John, is... The record, it's about what happened right after Jesus, well, actually, at the very beginning of the, of the book, it's about Jesus' ascension, taken up into heaven, but then it's just about what happened after for the first uh, 30 or 40 years. And what you see in the book of Acts is people talking about Jesus, and including the Apostle Paul. It has a bunch of Paul's sermons, his messages. And you'll see in every single one of his sermons, he includes a story about the resurrection. Did you know that not in every one of his sermon does he, does he, sermons does he include the cross? But every one he includes the story about the resurrection. You know, when you share about the cross... What happened? Jesus agonizing on the cross. When you share that with someone who's not a believer in Christ, that Jesus was their substitute, a substitute for them. He died for them. All their sin went on them. And then he was punished for them. And it makes them think. It gets them thinking. Makes them think. They think about the love of God. They think about 
the gravity, the, the awfulness, the ugliness of their own sin makes them think. But when you share about the resurrection, it makes them fear. And it's a healthy fear. There is such a thing as a healthy fear. That's, when someone doesn't know God and they're told about the resurrection, and they, that's a good thing. It's the kind of fear that, that drives them uh, to the Lord as well as the, the kindness and the love of God. And, but, but when you introduce the resurrection, the supernatural power of God is introduced. And, and, and so... The hearer says, well, wait a second, I can't just ignore these thoughts about God like I do with so many other thoughts. I need to take them ser- seriously. I need to do something about it. I just can't sit around thinking about, oh, the love of God on the cross. Oh, how, what a nice, lovely thought. I got to do something about them. That's what the resurrection does. The resurrection of a dead body? Of the Son of God? Maybe I need to really act on my thinking. And so it's just a powerful, important thing, uh, the resurrection. All the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, speak about the resurrection. But, but John's Gospel, as it usually is, is different. It's different. It's very different. In fact, John really focuses on one woman, at least for the first half of the resurrection story. Mary Magdalene. So John chapter 20, verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was, st- it was still dark. And so the masses of people, some of whom at one point were right at about riot level, <laughs> All the people insulting him, mocking him, accusing him, the people mourning, the people weeping, they're all gone. There's one person. It's a woman. Her name is Mary Magdalene. So what's John doing? What's the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit wrote this through John. What's going on here? This, like so many other things in John, is so radically different. Well, the attention on this woman, well... He's trying to communicate to you, all of you here, and me, and every other reader, that Christianity is not a religion. (laughs) It is a one-on-one, intensely personal relationship between you and God. In a very real way, listen, this is important. Your relationship with God is just about two people, you and God. God is a person. (laughs) Jesus Christ, the God-man. He he is a person. It's supreme. It's about two people, just you and God. And, and, And at the end of the day, listen, God saved you for a relationship with You and him alone. He didn't save you for a relationship in which you bring your friend in. Your mother, you you can't bring your mom into your relationship with Jesus. You you can't bring your son. You can't bring your daughter. You can't bring your your best friend. Hey, you just got to come here. No, no. It's It's an intensely personal relationship 
who God really does not allow anyone else to come in. When you try to bring other people in, you mess it up. Now, now I'm not talking about, obviously, we pray with each other, we encourage each other, we worship together, but at the end of the day, it's Mary Magdalene and Jesus alone. That's what we're going to see in this chapter. At the end of the day, it's just, at the beginning of the day, it's just you and Jesus, no one else. And John, he does this, and, and, and he does this in, in just this wonderful, marvelous way with the life of this one woman, Mary Magdalene, again, uh, verse 1. Let's read it again. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. Now, we know from the other accounts there were other women as well, but uh, in, in, in terms of comparing and contrasting the accounts, I think the best interpretation is that uh, she was ahead of the pack. She was ahead of the rest of the people. She was there alone. Middle of the verse, verse 1, while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Verse 2, it says that she ran and she came to Simon Peter. It says she ran. So Mary Magdalene ran. I want to think carefully through these verses about Mary. She ran. and that We can imagine her running. She's, she's, she's running through the dark. She very well could have stumbled a couple times because of the dark. She's running, which means heavy breathing. Her breathing probably uh, uh, interspersed from time to time with just with emotion. He's, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. She's running. She ran, it says. It says in verse 2, it says that she ran and, uh, and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you will know, or you may otherwise know, anytime in the book of John you see reference to the disciple whom Jesus loved, it's talking about who? Shout it out. John. It's talking about John. And so uh, she came to Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Let's continue. Peter, therefore, went out, and the other disciple, and were, were going to the tomb, and so they both ran together. What it doesn't say here, but which absolutely has to be the case, is that Mary, Mary ran back with them. How do we know that? Well, we're going we're gonna to read about it. Peter, as well as John, they run to the tomb. They find the tomb empty. They find the linens that Jesus had been wrapped in, and then they left. Look at verse 10. Go down to verse 10 with me. It says, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. Uh, in other words, Mary was right there. She had run back with them. She ran to get them, and she ran back with them. And so, again, it says uh, in, in verse 4, it says they both ran together, Peter 
and John ran together. Now, I want to hit the pause button. Uh, most of this morning, really focusing on, on, on Mary, but, but I think this picture of, Jesus, uh, of, rather, of Peter running to the tomb is really important. I want to make sure and, and leave this with you. It's really important. He, Peter is running to the tomb. Now, here's a guy who only a few days earlier at the Last Supper, when Jesus said to his disciples, all of you are going to fall away tonight, what did Peter say? He said, even if all fall away, I will never fall away, to which Jesus said to him, Peter, assuredly I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, to which Peter said, even if everybody else denies you, I will not. What happened? He denied him. Not only did he deny Jesus, uh, the book of Mark and Matthew say that the third time that Peter denied knowing Jesus or having anything to do with Jesus, he did it with swearing and cursing. I swear to God, I do not know this man. Then the rooster crowed. And Jesus looked at him, and he wept bitterly. Now, that's as low as you can get. That's about as low as you can possibly get. But here he's running. He's running. Now, some of you in this room, you've fallen really low. This week or in the past month or whatever, you're falling really, really low, and, and, and you're crawling back to Jesus. You're just barely crawling back. You're only hurting yourself, and you do not understand the grace of God. You do not understand what happened on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. Paid in full. And then he bowed his head and breathed his last and rather gave up his spirit. It is done. Everything that needs to be done for you to have an eternal relationship with God. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says this. It says, by one offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who, he is, who are being sanctified. By one offering, the cross, you have been perfected forever. And so when you fall flat on your face, and you will, you will, you'll fall flat on your face between now and the time that, that um, you die or Jesus comes again. It's going to happen probably multiple times. You have the right if you've accepted Jesus into your heart as the king that he says he is, to run back to him. You don't have to crawl back to him. The Bible says that, that, that once you accept, when Jesus, rather, when Jesus died on the cross, again, we talked about this last week, there's a, a judicial order, a judge's order, God the judge, this is written in blood that you are forgiven forever. And, and once that happened, and once you accepted Jesus into your heart, a white carpet was rolled out from you for, forward for all eternity. 
so that when you fall flat on your face, you get right back up. This carpet has no blemishes, no stain, no sin on it. It's, it's the perfection of Jesus. So running, he's running back to Jesus. It's a great picture. It's a great example for you and for me when we fall flat on our face. But let's continue. Uh, it says, uh, again, it says they both ran together. It says um, the other disciple, meaning John, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And it says, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen uh, uh, saw the linen clothes lying there, and yet he did not go in. Verse 6, but then Simon, Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. So some, let's go one more verse. Verse 7, it says, and the, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. So, you know, interesting detail here. Uh, it says that John arrived first. Hmm, why? What's, what meaning is, the, is there in that? It says that John didn't go in. Hmm. Why? And is, are we supposed to be reading something into that? I, I think not. <laughs> I don't think there's any significance. You, you go to uh, commentators and they say things like, well, you know, John was younger uh, than uh, Peter was and things like that, or, or John stood and he didn't go in because he's more timid. In actuality, I don't think there's any significance at all except for one thing, and that is it's a reminder to us of the truth of the Bible because when people are making stuff up, they don't provide that kind of detail. So I love that kind of detail because when people are telling lies, they, they, they don't... They don't bring up this kind of, of detail. Now, the, the handkerchief folded up, that's really the same thing. What that's really talking about there is, remember we talked about this last week, at this time, John is, the Gospel of John is written 30 or 40 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's rumors going all around that the body was stolen. Well, guess what? When you steal a body that is covered in a handkerchief over the head, you don't sit there and fold it neatly before you... No, no, you get out of there. And so it's, it's just the, the Bible is the Word of God, the Holy Spirit's way of saying, look, this happened. This really happened, is, I believe, why these uh, details are there. Verse 9, let's continue. It says, Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed... For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now, I, I think that when it's referring to when, when John saw and believed, it's not saying that he believed the resurrection yet, but what he believed was the body wasn't there. Because I think you'll see later on, these guys, it took a little while for them to realize, wow, it actually took Jesus appearing uh, to them to realize what he's not by wasn't stolen. He's he's been he rose from the dead. 
But it says at that time they did not know the scripture, verse 9, that he must rise again. I'm just going to share with you one scripture, which is from the Old Testament. It's from the book of Psalms, which states that the Messiah was going to rise from the dead. Psalm 16, verse 10, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. I tell you, sometimes the New Living Translation gets it. I love that. That you're not going to allow your holy one to rot in the grave. So as yet, they don't, they don't really understand the full significance of the body being gone, but they're like, wow, it's gone. Mary was right. It's the body is gone. Let's continue. Verse 10. Then the disciples went away again to their homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, uh, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she supposed him to be the gardener. And she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Now, uh, people write again many differences of opinions on what's this business about her not recognizing Jesus. And so some say that it was dark, and so she didn't recognize him. Now, I, I personally believe uh, that the reason that she didn't recognize him is because he was in his glorified body. If you see in other instances, at least two other instances, the disciples, it wasn't clear to, the, to them that it was him uh, when he appeared. Actually, I think there's three others uh, than uh, this one. Now, my son, Sam, who's really close to me right now, physically, disagrees with me. He says, no, no, that's nonsense. Uh, but you can go ask him after the service. He's right up here. Why he believes that all these instances, um, no, it was Jesus in his very form, but there were other. I believe in our glorified body um, that, that God is, is going to give us new bodies that are not going to look exactly like the bodies we're in now. And so many of you, including me, are like, oh yeah, I like that, I like that. Now if you're over 40, over 50, like me, and you're, it, these bodies are not gonna hurt, they're not gonna worry, they're not gonna be in distress, they're not gonna, be, they're not gonna sin. Now that is really, really good news. And so she, it says here that she thought at first um, she was... Uh, that he was the gardener and says, sir, if, listen, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which means my own teacher. It's kind of a, 
a term of endearment. Not only my teacher, my own, my own. Jesus is my own teacher. And then Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending, I'm going up to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so, uh, again, another, uh, another point here that uh, people don't all agree on. What does this mean, do not cling to me? What does that mean? And so, w- what I believe it means. It doesn't say, don't touch me. Some people say, well, he's in this different body and you can't like defile this body. The problem with that is what? He goes on later and he offers to his disciples and to Thomas, touch me or look at my wounds. And to Thomas specifically, put your hand inside the hole in my side where that spear was. So I don't believe it's, it's that going on. I think the key to, uh, to understanding this is the word cling. He had a mission for her to go, to go on, and it was to go to the other disciples and tell them, you saw Jesus. I saw Jesus. He had a mission for her. And so the idea is here, she's, she's bowed down, no doubt, at his feet. She's clinging to his, his legs, and it's like, hey, woman, <laughs> don't cling to me. I got a job for you to do. Go, go tell the disciples that I'm ascending to my, to my Father. And then it says in verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. In the book of Mark, it says that when she did that, it says they did not believe her. Okay. So... When I read about this woman, and I I, I hope I'm speaking for you too, I want to know what she had, and I want that thing. I want to know what this woman, she's first at the tomb early in the morning in the dark. What did she have that caused her to be there. I want to know, I want it. She ran to get a couple of men. They ran and then ran back with them to the tomb. They left. Remember, it, it, it said that um, in verse 10, they left, the disciples went away to their home, but she stayed, next verse, verse 11, weeping. Now, they probably left because they were scared. Because Jesus was crucified. Who's next? Probably me. And they ran away. She stayed. I want to know what this woman had because I want it. And and then it says, and and this is just great, it says that uh, in verse um, 11, it says, Uh, She stood outside the the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had laid. Now, when they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. 
And then in verse 14, it says, and when she had said this, she turned around. I think better translated, she turned away. So here you have a woman who she's weeping. She goes in there and she sees two angels. Now, I hope you're asking the question, well, did John and Peter see these two angels? Answer, no. And there's an important principle. And again, it's why I want to know what this woman had. If when a man or woman in Christ is seeking the Lord with tears, they are going to see things others don't get to see. And now I'm not talking about crying in a corner, being sorry for yourself. I'm talking about weeping and taking your tears to the Lord. You will see things that other people don't see. But the story is, it gets even better than that with the angels. She doesn't really care about these two angels. In fact, you know, other times when an angel appears to someone, what do they say? Just shout it out. What do they usually say? Don't fear. No need, to say that to, <laughs> no need to say that to Mary. In fact, they say, well, why are you weeping? Uh, she just answers, and it says that she turned away. You know what that reminds me of? Uh, Psalm 73. Can we get that one up, uh, Sean? Psalm 73, David cries out, who do I have in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. Psalm 73, verse 25. I don't care about angels. I want to see my Lord, I want what this woman had. I want to know. Why is she the way that she is? So I want to talk about it as we wrap up. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. It's to the left. This woman, Mary Magdalene, who is she? Well, she's mentioned about eight times in the Gospels, many of those times she's, her name is included in a list of women, but most of the time, in fact, five of those times, her name is first on the list. She's clearly being set apart, not because she's better than anyone else, but she's an example for you and me. Mary Magdalene, born in Magdala, which is a city on uh, the Sea of Galilee. So the book of, of Luke, uh, chapter 8, uh, speaks about Mary. Uh, first talks about her. I think that's the first time in Luke it talks about her. It says, now this is two or three years earlier. This is two or three years prior to the death of Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 1 says, now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. Now Mark tells us that Jesus had cast out seven demons from her. Now, so this is who this woman is. And, 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 and so we want to understand why is it she's behaving the way she was behaving? Why was she there first in the dark? 
Why does she run back to get to the disciples and run back with them? Why do they leave scared and she stays anyway? Why does she not really care about appearances of angels? Which, by the way, can be an enormous distraction. Don't get into all that angel stuff chasing around angels. You chase after Jesus. If an angel happens to show up at your bedside, well, glory to God. Focus on Jesus. But Jesus cast out seven demons. Now, there was one time I was in Haiti where I was in the presence of a woman either possessed or under like complete control of a demon. And I, I, I've talked about this before, but I, I had walked into a room. This woman was in there. I knew her very well. I knew her when she was in her right mind. And this room was probably about 120 degrees. It was on the second floor in Haiti in the middle of the day, and she had all the windows closed because she thought other demons were going to come in. So she wouldn't let anyone open the windows. So the, the, the scene was just just really awful. And I, I came in, there's this precious young lady who I'd known for a number of, uh, of years. She, she lived at the orphanage down there in Haiti at one point, uh, the orphanage that uh, uh, we helped get started up. And, and so, and, and I went in there, and, and, and she was, all I can say is, she was clearly a tortured soul tortured soul. Can you imagine waking up every morning and there is a, an entity, a demonic entity living inside of you or about you that is vying for control of everything you say and do? Now, now imagine that there's been seven of them. And Jesus cast them out. By the way, the, um, I, I, I did pray for that woman in Haiti, and we fasted for her, and literally within a week, she had returned to church in her right mind. But Mary Magdalene, seven demons had been cast out. Now, go back now to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. I want to read from these verses here. Because I believe they're talking about Mary Magdalene. Again, we're, we're looking at Mary because we want to know what she has. We want it. It says, verse 36, Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, meaning a prostitute, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at his feet and behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet and, and with, her, with her tears and, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with, with fragrant oil. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. So I and many other commentators of, uh, of Luke 
believes that this is talking about Mary Magdalene. Now, keep in mind, there were no chapter differences, breaks in the book of Luke or any other the, uh, book of the Bible when it w- was first written. So chapter that well, number eight, it, it was not there. This is uh, connected to chapter seven. And right after the story about this woman in verse 50, it breaks right into talking about who? Mary Magdalene. Now, many of you in this room know full well that demon possession is connected connected really close to drug use, and drug use is connected really close to prostitution. And if you think, oh, we live in 2018, we're really progressive. They didn't have drugs back then. I think again, the Bible says, in the New Testament, it refers to uh, witchcraft. The word in Greek for witchcraft is, witchcraft is pharmacia, from which we get the word pharmacy. People use drugs to open themselves up to the demonic realm. And so the sequence, I believe, and other commentators, is this. Here is a woman who fell into drug use, opened herself up to the demonic realm, and in order to keep her habit going, went into prostitution. Very simple. It's, 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 it's something, uh, a story that has been tragically repeated over and over again throughout history. So I believe this is... This is talking about Mary Magdalene. Not, not everyone does. But, but it goes on to say, this, this, this guy says, he says, if this were a prophet, he would know who this woman was who is touching him. Well, little does this guy know that it's because that Jesus knew who she was that she was there, and it's because that Mary Magdalene is who he is that Jesus chooses her to be first at the tomb. He chooses her to, uh, for, to be the very first one to see him in his resurrected body, and he chooses her to be the first missionary ever sent out by Jesus Christ. Go and tell the disciples. Jesus singles out the lowest of the lowest of the low, so that he can have a trophy of his grace, a trophy of his glory, so that he can tell to all of you in this room, all of you in this room, that your sin is, is not too big to, to, to be that it's outside somehow the blood of Jesus Christ on, on the cross. Now, the story goes on, Um, Jesus knew what the guy was thinking. In verse 40, he says, hey, I have something to say to you. You know, when Jesus says, I mean, imagine the tone of voice when he says that to you. It's like, oh, no, I'm not looking forward to this. And and so he he says to this guy, he says, you know, I came in here. And uh, he, he goes on. In verse 44, I came in here, I entered your house. He says, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Rather, yeah, with her hair. And and you gave me no kiss. She's been kissing uh, my feet. And then uh, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. And and, and then he said, Jesus said to to the Pharisee, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So what did Mary have that some of us in this room do not have? 
She had a picture of how much she had been forgiven. She knew what it was like to have that idolatry of drugs, that idolatry of sex, that um, I, the, the idols in her life. She knew about it firsthand, and she knew that this Savior had delivered her from that. She knew that, and therefore, she's early. She's early at the cross. She's seeking the Lord. And the Bible says that when someone seeks the Lord in this manner, they're going to find him. Sean, can we get the verses? It says here um, in Deuteronomy 4.29. So back to the very beginning of the Bible. We read this principle. If you seek the Lord your God, and you will, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Again, in, Je in Jeremiah, it says, uh, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Let's uh, skip down to uh, the next one after that. Proverbs 8, 17. Those that seek me early shall find me. Why was she at the cross in the dark? Rather, at the, uh, she, she, was at the, she was actually at the cross in the dark as well when it went dark. But why was she also first at the tomb in the dark? Why, was she, why did she stick around when the other guys left? Why did she say in her heart when she saw two angels, look, I don't care about that. I have none on heaven and earth other than you, Lord. Is because she knew about the grace of God, how much she has, has been forgiven. And you know something? I'm going to end just how I began not all of us have been possessed by a demon. Not all of us have entered a life of, of, of substitution, uh, rather of prostitution. Not all of us have a life of, of drug addiction. But you know what we do have? We have the cross. We have that bloody cross, that unrecognizable body, the Bible says, the, the Bible says on the cross. And we have that cross, and the, the, there's a finger pointing at us in terms of to tell us who put them there, you did. And when a man or woman understands that, I don't care if they grew up in a Christian home, they've never looked at pornography, they've never been involved in stealing or, or done anything or cheat or steal in the whole life. If they understand the cross the way that God wants them to understand, they will be on the exact same level as Mary Magdalene. They will be showing up uh, looking for Jesus early in the morning. They will be, uh, when everyone else has left, they've run away uh, because they're scared of being persecuted or they just don't like the consequences of, of, of being found in public for Jesus, but they, they stick around or they may see incredible things, you know, two angels. Oh, they see two rock stars in the airport. Who cares? I want Jesus. That's what the cross is supposed to do. Because we're on the same, everyone's the same at the foot of the cross. So I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up at this time. You know, it's just so incredible uh, what happened. The, the privilege she got to be the first person sent out. And, and you know, it has been my experience as a as a man walking with the Lord, but also as a pastor, every time I see people seeking the Lord with this 
kind of perseverance, perseverance with tears. They see him. They find him. I'm not talking about a physical manifestation, but he makes um, himself really, really, really clear in their life. That's what happens. And, and, you know, last thing, you know, can we get the Deuteronomy verse up again? We we see verses like this in the Bible. Uh, It says, you'll seek the Lord your God and you'll find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. Some people say, well, why is he? He's like a masochist or something. Why doesn't he just show up? And, and, and the reason is, is because in our hearts, that's just how we are. You know, we just kind of kick back. You know, hey, God, we kind of like show up and show me who you are. You know, he wants a relationship with you. When you have a relationship with your husband or your wife or one of your kids, don't you want a relationship where the person is, is really, they're, they're, they're really interested in you. They're intensely interested in you. They want to know all about you. What's in your heart, they want you. And so um, that's what Jesus wants for you. So we're going to close with this uh, worship song. If you've been asked to pray, uh, uh, please come up. Why don't you stand? We'll close in prayer. First things first, if you have never in your life come to the place where you have asked Jesus into your heart to come in as the king of your life, Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus says, I knock at the door of your heart. Anyone who opens their heart, I will come in and eat with them. That speaks of relationship. That speaks of a relationship that's not shallow. It, it, It speaks of an intensely personal relationship. I grew up in churches that never talked about a relationship with Jesus. So I never asked him into my life as king. I just did whatever I wanted. I was my own king. If you have never asked them into uh, your life to be your king, your Lord, your Savior, come on up and, and, and I'll pray with you or one of the folks will come. So it's a simple prayer of faith. Not an easy prayer of faith because there are costs associated with it. If you've never done that, come up. Or, wow, you're reading about Mary Magdalene and say, I, I want that, what that woman had. I want it. Come up, we can pray for you. I'm going to say a a prayer and then we'll worship. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. What a picture, Lord. Thank you for the book of John, you. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Oh, what, what wonderful, wonderful books individually each of them are. But this book, Lord, you desire the relationship, a one on one relationship where we can't yank someone else, our wife, our husband, or friend or whoever into it because you love us that much you want that one-on-one relationship thank you for this picture and Lord all of us your word says that we've been given all things we need for life and godliness including what Mary had and we pray Father that you would complete the, the work that you started Lord that you would complete it lives. Give us that desire to seek you early and stay with you when everyone else has run away. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.